first of all, before I get started this morning, I just want to say a big thank you to Brother Gary for uh, covering for me last week about the worst nightmare for any preacher is to wake up and to not be able to come to church that day. And uh, the worst nightmare for a preacher is to get that phone call at the last minute saying, hey, I'm not going to be there. Can you preach in my place? Um, but, you know, God has a reason for things, and I believe that if God um, saw fit for me to get sick last week, it's because he saw fit that God, Gary needed to share what he shared last week, and I need to share what I'm sharing this week. And so I'm just going to let you know up front, I'm going to be real up, you know, up front with you and say I've been kind of, my heart's been kind of percolating on this message for about three weeks now, so we might get out by the time of evening service tonight. But we all are okay with that, right? No, y'all are first service crowd. Y'all know the preacher's got to get done in time for Sunday school. I know how this works. Luke chapter 15, let's go there today. You know, our boys, as you're turning there, let me just tell you this, my boys are six, about six and a half now. It's been six and a half years since we adopted them. And along that time, um, we've gotten plenty of questions about them, about them being adopted, but mostly about being twins. And if you have twins in your family, you know the questions that you probably get. Most common question we ever get is simply the question, are they identical? And the answer is yes. I, I remember one time that uh, Kim told me, I was not with her, but it was back when they were little bitty babies, and she was at Target, and she was pushing around what we called the baby train. It was this big, long stroller. It had two seats, one in front of the other, and she's going around, and she came up on this mother and daughter, and the daughter was just, you know, just, you know, talking to the boys. Oh, they're so cute and all this kind of stuff. And she's asking Kim's questions about, these, about our boys and stuff. And, uh, and then she goes, well, are they identical? And, uh, and the mom chimed in before Kim could say anything and say, well, obviously they're not identical. They don't look the same, do they? You know, and it was one of those moments where she kicked the mama bear. And I could, I, as Kim is telling me this story later, you know, her blood pressure is still rising as she's getting angry at the fact that here's this woman going to tell her about her kids. Uh, but the second most common question we ever get is, you know, do they like the same things? Do they like to do the same things? Um, and if you have more than one kid or if you have a sibling, you know this is true, that it's funny how sometimes two or more kids can come from the same set of parents, can be raised in the same environment, yet be total opposites. Isn't that true? How they can like different things, how they can have totally different personalities, how they have different tendencies, and on a spiritual level can even have different sin struggles, have different ways that they rebel. Um, and so this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at probably what is the most famous parable that Jesus ever shared. It's a parable that actually is taught even in secular universities. I remember in English class, literature class, reading and studying the parable of the prodigal son. And so today we're going to be looking at that. And generally when we read it, we always typically focus our attention on who? Prodigal son. It's what we call the parable. Um, but actually Jesus presents two very different yet equally rebellious brothers in this story. But he does so, I believe, in presenting those brothers, most importantly to paint a picture for us of God the Father, of our Father in heaven who goes beyond what we could ever imagine to offer forgiveness to even the worst of rebels. And so let's start in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to just work our way through this passage. It says, And Jesus said, He said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. We'll stop right there for now. Have you ever been in a situation, have you ever watched someone do something that you knew was about to be a train wreck? 
Have you ever watched someone do something that you thought this is going to be a disaster and you want to stop them or you just can't stop them? Parents, have you ever had that situation where you, your kids did something and you're like, no, 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 oh, no, this is not going to be good. Happened to us a few weeks ago. We were eating dinner at McAllister's on Tuesdays because kids eat free on Tuesdays. And so we go there quite often. We see the same families every time we go there. And we sat down to get our, to get our supper. We started eating. And as we're eating our supper, uh, one of my boys... Will had spilled a little drink on the table. And I told him, I, I, said, I said, hey, Will, wait, wait, hold on, buddy. Let me, let me wipe up that drink before you lean forward and get it on your shirt. And he said, no, 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 Dad, I, I got this. <laughs> Licked it right off the table. And it was one of those, I mean, you just, you, oh. you know, you, as a parent, you just start, you don't know what to do. You don't know, should you just... Just spray hand sanitizer on his tongue? You know, do you go ahead and call the doctor and make an appointment? Do you just set your clock to when you think he's going to get sick? Sure enough, he got sick that night and didn't go to school the next day. You know, sometimes we, we see situations where we just like, what are you about to do? Well, this is one of those situations I feel like, yeah, now this is a much more mature, a grown, I say mature, a grown adult young man. He comes to his father and he says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. You read this and you think, what are you doing? How could you possibly think this is a good thing to ask? Especially in this culture, in this day and age, how could he possibly have thought this? This kid was in essence saying to his father, Dad, I don't care about you. You are as good as dead to me. Give me what's coming to me. In fact, his heart had walked away from his father far before his mouth ever did. Yet, what does the father do? He obliges. He did so. He allowed his son to walk away. Now, I said earlier that Jesus is painting a picture here of God the Father. The Father in heaven who created Adam and Eve knowing that they would rebel, yet who still gave them the freedom to do so. The Father in heaven who chose the Israelites as his people knowing full well they would not remain faithful to him. Yet he still gave them the freedom to make that choice. The Father in heaven who created every single person who has lived and will live, yet gave them the freedom to choose whether they would follow or rebel, yet even knowing full well that every single one would, God gave us that ability. He has given us that choice. Isaiah 53, 6, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. You see, this father in Jesus' parable didn't demand his son's obedience. He didn't demand his son's submission. He did not force him to remain. Instead, he gave him the freedom to make that choice, just as our heavenly father has given us that freedom to make that choice. Now, why would he do that? Have you ever thought, stopped and thought about that? Why on earth would God... Allow us that freedom. Why would he take that risk? Why would he endure that pain? I mean, wouldn't it have been much easier had God created us in such a way to where we didn't have a choice but to love him? Wouldn't that have been much simpler for him? For him? Wouldn't that be been much less painful for him? He could have, but would it have been love in that situation? I mean, if we had had no choice at all, would that have been genuine love? Back at Christmas, our boys did what most kids do at some point in their lives. Um, they started begging us for a dog. 
You know how it goes. You know the routine. Mom, Dad, we want a dog. We want a dog. We want a pet. You know, we'll take care of it. We promise. We'll clean up all the spots in the backyard where they use the bathroom. We'll feed it and all this kind of stuff. And they just kept on and on and on and on. And so we finally relented. And we got, we got them a dog. And I want you to know it has been a great experience. This dog that we got them, he is the best dog ever. He has not made a single mess in the house. He eats, you know, does everything perfectly, plays fetch all the time, is yet to wake us up in the middle of the night. It is the greatest little dog. We named him Chip. He is just the greatest little thing ever. In fact, I brought him today. Y'all want to see our, our little dog we got? I brought, he's so quiet. I'm telling you, you haven't heard him at all. He's been just back here sleeping. Oh, hey, buddy. Hey, little guy. How you doing? This, this, this is my buddy Chip. Now, this, this is my favorite feature on Chip. He's got an on-off switch, and he lights up. Oh, see, isn't he nice? Now, every now and then his eyes will turn red, and it means that he loves me. And my favorite part about this is I can turn them off. It's great. Now, let me ask you this. Is that love? I mean, he, he, his eyes turn red, and he goes, oh, oh, oh. is that really love? No, he's just doing what he's programmed to do, right? He doesn't really have the ability to choose to do anything because he's a robot. You know, God could have created us in such a way that we would have no choice, but that wouldn't have been true love. Instead, he created us and designed us in such a way with free will so that we could choose to love him, even knowing that none of us would on our own. All we like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, Romans 3.23. God gave us the freedom, even knowing it would be painful for him to do so. Because that's the only way that true love could genuinely come in the way in which he would demonstrate true and genuine love to us. But let's see the next part of this story. Look in verse 13. I want us to see what comes of the younger brother. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property on reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And so sure enough, this son did what the father probably was afraid he would do as soon as he got his hands on that money. He took the money and ran. And now if this had been a modern day story, it might have sounded something like the son grabbed the, the dad's retirement account, ran off to Vegas, and blew all the money on fast, fast cars, fast living, and wild women. Until one day all the man, money ran out and suddenly it wasn't fun anymore and he found himself in the pig slot. And all the friends disappeared. I mean, there was a time when, when maybe he may have been surrounded by all of these beautiful, exciting people who wanted to be around him. Why? Because he had all this money, but then suddenly it all dried up. And it wasn't so fun anymore. Now, what a perfect picture of sin that is, isn't it? Isn't that a perfect picture of what sin really truly is? You see, sin never leads to the joy that you think it's going to lead you to. It never leads to the fulfillment and happiness that you think it's going to. Instead, it leads to emptiness. Instead of finding fulfillment, instead of finding happiness, this younger brother found himself 
longing to feed off of the same things he was feeding these pigs in this pen. And that's what Satan does. Satan will tempt us with sin. He'll put put it in front of us and he'll make it look so, so enticing. He'll make it look so, so good. Oh, just lie about that little one thing. No one's going to ever know. It's going to really pay off in the end. Just respond in anger. Oh, it'll make you feel good. You'll feel like you got retaliation. Just look at that stuff on the internet. Just just cheat on your husband. Cheat on your wife. Just live it up. Live for today because, you know, who cares about tomorrow? We'll worry about tomorrow when we get here. Just do whatever you want to do. Enjoy life in the moment. You're not really hurting anyone else. But Satan never tells you the cost. He never tells you what's going to come in the end. He never tells you how it's going to leave you hurting, how it's going to leave you hollow, how it's going to leave you wanting more and never fully satisfied. He never shows you the real consequence. I think it was Adrian Rogers that said it like this, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, we see that in the lives of some lost people, don't we? We see that in people who say, you know what, I'll do that Jesus thing tomorrow. I'll do it later. I just want to live it up right now. I just want to be my own boss right now. I don't want to have to do any of that kind of stuff. You know, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that when I'm older. I'll do that sometime before I die. But what does James say? James chapter 4, verse 13 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You may think you have tomorrow, but you have no guarantee of tomorrow. None of us do. And if we keep living our lives like that apart from Christ, if we keep running like this, this younger brother did in rebellion apart from Christ, eventually we're going to find ourselves with no tomorrow, simply judgment. But 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. But you know, that same rebellious spirit can even be found in believers. It can be found in Christians as well. I mean, have you ever known somebody who truly, genuinely loved Jesus, but there was a point in their life when it seemed like they just came off the rails and they ran headlong into sin, headlong into rebellion? I mean, maybe that's even been some of us in this room in the past. Maybe it's some of us today, right now. But what happens next in this story reminds us that it is never too late to turn to the Lord in repentance and be received by Him. Look in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And so this, I think it's significant here. It says that the younger brother woke up. He came to his senses. There was a point where he came under conviction and he said, what I'm doing is not right. I have sinned against my father and against heaven above. And he turns in repentance. And he even comes up with this plan of how he's going to go to his dad and he's going to offer to be an employee of his dad, kind of try to earn his way back into the family. He knows he's blown all his wealth. He has nothing. And so anything, he's just falling upon the mercy of his dad and just hoping the dad would just make him the lowest of the low. But look what happens next. Look in verse 20. It says, it says, he rose and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What a dad. Did you, did you catch what he was doing? Watching for his son's return. It said when the son was a long way off, the father saw him. You can probably imagine the scene. Every single day, the dad's doing his job, working, but he's always looking at the horizon, just hoping and praying that one day he'd see the image of his son cross over that horizon and start coming home. And he waited. And he waited, and he waited. And sure enough, one day it happened. And he sees his son, and he runs to his son. Now, you know, you might have thought that he would have sit back and just kind of wait in anger, you know? Sit there and tap his foot and say, that stinking son of mine, I'm going to make him crawl back to me. But did he do that? No. It says he ran to him. He embraced him. He clothed him. He put the best robe on him. Which robe would that have been? That would have been the dad's own robe. He put a ring on his finger, which would signify the family's wealth, the family's possession. He put shoes on his feet. He clothes him in his own person, his own being, and brings him back into the family. And he doesn't even let his son get to that speech. You remember that speech he was going to give? Remember he was going to go in and say, Dad, I'm just going to just hire me, Dad. Let me be a servant. No, 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 no. There was none of that. There was no need to earn his way back to forgiveness. There was no shame. There was no repaying some debt. There was only love. There was only forgiveness. Only restoration. And that is our Heavenly Father. That is the God who we love and serve. The one who longs for every single person to come back to Him. The one who is longing for every single soul to come back to Him. And when we do, he clothes us in his righteousness. Just like that young man was clothed in his father's robe, God the Father clothes us in his righteousness, and we are back in the family. Now, you might say to yourself, now, wait a minute now, the dad didn't go after him. Why didn't the dad just hop on a, hop on a horse or whatever and ride off looking for his son and try to hunt him down and bring him back? Well, turn back to the beginning of this chapter. Jesus actually tells three parables here, and he does it kind of as a set because they all tell the same point. And I want us to look at what these first two parables say because because this is where he makes that point. Look in the very first verse. Actually, skip down to verse... we'll, We'll go to verse one. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he come, comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. 
Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know what Jesus was using those parables to say? God searches for us. He comes after us. In fact, he sent his son to find us. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when we do receive the Son, when we do come to God in repentance, His response is always unconditional love and forgiveness. Every single time without fail. And just as this father did not require the son to pay off his debt, God the Father does not require us to pay off our debt. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Now let's go back to this story. Because remember I said there was two brothers. Two brothers who were equally rebellious, who had turned away from the father. Let's look at verse 25. It says, Now his older brother was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, at, look these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you, gave me a young, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now let's be honest. It's, it's hard not to sympathize in some way with this older brother, isn't it? I mean, this is the good son. This is the one who has worked his fingers to the bone, doing everything the father ever asked in loyalty, in service to him, day in and day out. And so you want to think that he's actually got a legitimate gripe here. You want to think that he's, he's got a, some ground to stand on when he looks at his dad and says, Dad, look, I've served you all these years. But you know, we might not recognize his rebellion, but it is very much rebellion. We may not see it at first glance, you know, because this younger brother's rebellion was all very obvious. I mean, he ran off and blew all the money and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's pretty obvious to see, but this other brother's rebellion is very real, yet very hidden. Now, back at the beginning of that chapter, you remember there was, there was two crowds there. There were the tax collectors and the sinners. That's the younger brother. And then there was the scribes and the Pharisees. It's the older brother. That's why Jesus told this story. It was an accusation against the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and, and so who is this brother that we're picturing here? It's that person whose entire religious life is wrapped up in the following of rules with little to no love for the Father, with little to no genuine care or, or love for a relationship with God the Father. It was the scribes and the Pharisees, and it can be us today. That we can get caught up with living a life of obedience and never really care to love God. We simply think that all we have to do is to manage a checklist. I mean, let's think about this, this son's rebellion. I mean, first, he refused to go into the party. He stood outside and separated himself from the father and said, I don't want to go in there. And when the father came out and begged, he still refused. 
Secondly, he begins to play this comparison game. He said, Dad, he said, Dad I've worked all these days and you've never even given me a goat. Yet this young brother of mine, this, this brother, this son of yours, look at all he's done and you've given him all this stuff. You haven't given me my fair share is what he's saying. And then he goes even farther and he really shows his heart um, because he disowns his brother. How do we know that? Because he says, this son of yours. In fact, I believe that, that this brother would have been much happier had the money come back and his younger brother been dead than for his brother to come back and the money to be gone. Yet what does the father do? He continually pleads with the son to come in. And so in the end, this older brother is self-righteousness on display. Self-righteousness on full display. I mean, spiritually speaking, he is that person that thinks he's done enough, that she's done enough to get into heaven on their own merit. They've done enough to get past the pearly gates because they are a good person. They say, I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. I, I, I don't do anything bad. And so once again, you can probably see the connection to some lost people right here. You can probably see that we've probably met these people before that say, I don't need church. I'm a good person. But that same attitude can creep into the heart of Christians as well. We can get so caught up in just following rules and just living out commands that we forget to pursue the God who gave the commands. That we forget to simply love the God who created us and redeemed us. And so in the end, we end up living this outward life of obedience, but there's an inward void because we never truly are with God. We become Martha's when Jesus wants a Mary. When Jesus wants someone who simply will be there, who will, will enjoy His presence. Because, you know, God doesn't just want our obedience. He wants our heart. And if that is you today, God offers that same hand to you. I mean, He looks at this outwardly obedient yet inwardly rebellious brother and He says, come into the party. All I have is yours but let's enjoy it together. And if you've lost that desire, you know you're a believer, but you've lost that desire to just simply love God, Jesus is making the same offer to you. Come into the party. Just simply enjoy my presence. You know, two sons here. Two forms of rebellion. And both are eternally dangerous. But both were loved by the Father. Yes, this parable is about two sons, but it is about our God. The Father who loved you so much that He would create you in such a way that you would have the choice whether you would love Him or not. The Father who, that knew that you would wander off, yet continually watched for you and sent His Son to die in place of your sin, if only you would receive it. The Father who will receive you with open arms, with no shame, no guilt, and would never turn you away. And so maybe today you realize that you're a rebel. That you know in your heart that there is something that is not right. Maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and, and you identify either with this younger brother who is the outward rebel or this older brother who is the inward rebel. Or maybe you're a believer here today, and you realize, you know what, my life is being lived in rebellion right now. There is something not right that I need to get right 
with God. You know, you know, the saddest part about this story is we don't know what happens to the older brother. Jesus does it on purpose because we don't, because, because he was basically challenging the Pharisees to say, what are you going to do? And so he gives us that same challenge. What are you going to do? But praise God, it's never too late. Once I heard a true story of an old man in a little town that was hardened by life and hardened by sin. And the little church in that little town had prayed for this man for years and years and years, and people had been to see him, to share the gospel with him. He'd show up at church every now and then, but he never would receive Christ until one day, finally, he walked down the aisle. He prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and his life was changed. But it was interesting that on that day, he sat on the front pew as the service ended, and he just kept saying this one phrase as he was weeping over and over and over and over again. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted my life. I've wasted it. But you know, by the grace of God, even a life that is almost over is never wasted if it's given to Jesus. Even a life that only has moments remaining can still be redeemed by the power and love of our God. As one theologian put it, our present existence is only a short preface to a long eternity. And because that's true, that man's life was not really wasted. He was just getting ready for an eternal life of praise and love with the Father in heaven. And so what do we do today? You know, why wait even a moment longer to get things right with our Lord? Would you bow your head with me? As we come to this time of invitation this morning, I first need to offer that invitation to those in this room who may not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Whether you feel like you are rebellious or not, the truth is, is that apart from Jesus, you are a rebel. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the next part of that verse says that the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid upon Jesus Christ our sin. And Jesus died on a cross to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. And it's a gift that you can receive if only you will accept it. If only you will admit that you're a sinner and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Will you do that today? If that's you, I want to encourage you to walk down this aisle as we have this time of invitation and share that with me so we can pray together, so we can share some more scripture together so that you can know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with God and you will live eternally with Him in a perfect place called heaven. But maybe today you're a believer in this room and you realize that your life is in a little bit of rebellion right now. Maybe it's outward like the younger brother. Maybe it's inward like the older brother. But either way, it's still rebellion. And Jesus is offering that same hand to you that the Father offered to His two sons in this story. The invitation to come back into the party. To have a relationship restored. Renewed. If that's your decision today, I want to encourage you to come down here and to make that public. Maybe you're here today and you, you need a church home and you've been visiting here and you say, this is where I need to be. If that's the decision you need to make today, why don't we make that public too? Father, I'm praying that as we come to this time of invitations, if there's any in this room that need to make decisions, 
whether those be public decisions that they need to walk an aisle for or private decisions that are made simply in their hearts and their seats, I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to do so and that they would resolve to live their lives more faithfully following you. Be with us in this time of invitation. It's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand if we serve?